Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Justin Aldridge. I'm a life and success coach, and I'm here to encourage you to be uncommon. And if you want to learn how to define your life and live your own idea of success, you should absolutely be listening to the More Than Corporate podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today, I have this really cool interview with Justin Aldridge. Justin is a life and success coach for the millennial generation, and he helps people get unstuck so they can clarify and create the lives and careers they've always dreamed of. Justin's mantra, and I absolutely love this, Justin's mantra is to be uncommon, and he helps people understand that it's only through authentically connecting with who we are that we can create the lives we desire. If you ask him, Justin will tell you that all of the titles he has come together into one mission, which is to help as many people as he can create lives that they are excited to wake up to. Justin and I really dig into this idea of chasing things that are not going to fulfill you just to figure out that it is those unique and authentic things about you that make you different, that also make you amazingly qualified to connect with other people. And by embracing those things and being, as Justin calls it, uncommon, we are able to truly touch the lives of others and live the life that we want to have. I am so excited for you guys to hear from Justin. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to take a minute to let you know that I am creating creating a online coaching program where we can dig into so many different aspects of life and business. If you have ever thought that there has to be more to what you're doing, you love your job, but you're not quite fulfilled and you don't know what's missing. Maybe you've started a side hustle and you're trying to figure out how to make that all work together. If you're looking at wanting accountability to be able to accomplish your goals, if you're looking for some mindset pieces along with some business pieces and some relationship pieces and kind of this whole life wheel of conversation in an online coaching program where we'll have expert calls, Zoom coaching calls, Facebook lives. If that sounds like something that you're interested in, I would love to talk to you and see if it's a good fit. There is a Calendly link in the show notes for this episode. Feel free to click on that, schedule a call with me, and we can talk about what you're trying to accomplish and if we are a good fit to work together to get you there. I'm so excited to hear from you, but I'm even more excited to let you hear from Justin today. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dig into the episode. Justin, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Dude, I'm so excited to have you on. So um, we connected through a website and I'm super excited from looking at your story and reading your website to have you kind of share a little bit with my audience. You have this amazing mantra that I love that I'm going to let you talk about, but let's start with like what it was like for you growing up and what you thought your life was going to be like when you were a kid. It's kind of funny. People see me now, whether it's physically or in my career, whatever, and I always love asking people what they think my upbringing was like. 
and because the answers are usually nothing like it actually was. I'm the youngest of five kids. Both my parents were high school dropouts. My dad had five kids by the time he was 21. My mom, three by the age of 20. My three eldest siblings were dropouts. And so life was a struggle growing up, as you can imagine. My parents were babies raising babies. Yeah. And so from a financial perspective, it was tough. Um, I mean, we were moving all the time. Uh, my dad was just out trying to make ends meet. So I had a lot of those insecurities. I was a super, super insecure kid just because of the reality of our existence. But I was also a very sensitive kid. And in my household, I was, uh, I was kind of the outlier, so to speak, especially with my brothers. I've got four brothers, well, I've got three brothers and then an adopted brother and then my sister. But I was the outlier in terms of, uh, I was always the one who, I never wanted to do anything bad. I was very, very sensitive, uh, really loved school, all those different things. My brothers just weren't that way. And so, you know, that, that sensitive side of me just had a way of being kind of beat down uh, and suppressed in a lot of ways. And it's kind of funny that you talked about what my personal mantra is. Whenever I was younger, um, I knew that I was different, but I hated that about myself. You know, people from the youngest of ages, I remember people telling me, using those, those slogans like, you're cut from a different cloth or you're wise beyond your years about me. And I hated that. I absolutely hated it because I wanted to fit in because everything in my immediate surroundings and my reality was telling me that being different wasn't good. And so life was a struggle for me. I was a super anxious kid. Thinking back now, I can, I can say that I've dealt with anxiety my entire life. That anxiety ended up kind of manifesting itself into depression the older I got. I've always been a, a very happy kid on the surface. Um, I've always been the one that kind of learned how to hide behind a bright smile. I've always loved people, being able to cut up, engage with people, things like that. But people never really understood because I was like that on, that, on the surface, the pain and the fear that was going on inside of me. You know, and it's it so was. interesting that you say that. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, um, it's so interesting that you say that because so many times people that are dealing with anxiety and depression and that show up in service to their friends and they're happy and they're normally the jokesters of their, of their group and everybody thinks they're fine. And deep down inside, they're just dealing with all the shit that we can't imagine. And the reason I wanted to bring that to the attention it's because so many people look at that and we only look surface level and we're like well this guy has his shit all together what the hell's wrong with me and little do they know that all of this is going on inside and we're just not talking about it and so i love that you mentioned that that you know on the outside you were all happy and on the inside you were dealing with that because i think it's something that's so common and not addressed enough yeah absolutely and it's, it's almost like that classic comedian syndrome you know you you see these these just uh, exuberant big personalities that are comedians and then you end up seeing them commit suicide and you find out after the fact all of the pain and the turmoil that was going on inside of them but nobody ever saw that side of them because they were the ones who were like you said they were always in service to others they were always putting on that mask so to speak to hide the pain and the insecurity and the fear and the doubt and the overwhelm that was going on inside of them and that was my existence for the first gosh, 20 plus years of my life, 24 years of my life. And then whenever I was back in 2012, I remember sitting down to dinner one day and this was kind of the, the beginning of me going down the road where I'm at now. 
we were sitting down to dinner one night at Olive Garden for a, a family member's birthday. And I had just this weird feeling come over me. And the only way I could describe it, even still today, was I felt like I was dying. And my only reaction in that moment was to jump up from the table and take off running. And so people probably think I'm losing my damn mind as I'm sprinting through <laughs> Olive Garden. And I run outside and I'm breathing heavily. I feel like I'm about to pass out. Everything's spinning around me. And the only thing I keep telling myself is just breathe, just breathe, just breathe. Because I was afraid if I passed out, I wasn't going to wake back up. And then after the fact, I realized obviously that it was a, a panic attack because I never had, even though I was dealing with the anxiety, I never had a panic attack like that. Well, I went to bed that night, woke up the next day just with all these physical uh, symptoms that I dealt with for six straight months. And I was seeing specialist after specialist that were, that were checking me for everything from blood diseases to brain tumors and everything in between. And it was at that point that I realized that the, the constant battle that I had been in to suppress the real me was starting to really backfire. Everything was starting to bubble to the surface and it was getting to the point where I couldn't control it anymore. And like I said, that was kind of the turning point that led to the, that personal mantra for me, which is be uncommon. That was an identity statement for me because I knew, looking back at my childhood, I knew I was always different. And like I said, it was, it was a bad thing in my mind for so long until I started to understand and I started to look at a lot of the people that I looked up to, people that I respected. And I started to really dig deep, like what is it about them that I respect? Why do I look up to them? It was, the back, it was the fact that they owned who they are and all the success that they had came once they started to step into that truth and own that identity. And so then from there, that became my mantra. And I tell people, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, whether it's the way that I'm showing up, coaching people when I'm standing on stage, speaking to thousands of people, or whether it's the way that I'm going through the grocery store. I want people to look at me and be like, you know what? There's something different about that dude. I don't know what it is, but I want to know and I want to be part of it. Yeah, that's amazing. And one of the things that really comes to mind is people don't understand until they've been in that situation how much the stress of trying to be somebody else can have a physical impact on your body. And whether it's the incongruency that's going on in your head or whether it's like actual stress from something you're dealing with in your life, it can cause these physical symptoms that nobody can explain. And all of a sudden you just let everything go and you start to heal. And so it's so crazy. Um, my story is very similar with the panic attacks. And so I can completely relate to that. And it's the scariest thing on the planet the first time it happens to you. You're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, it's terrifying. And, you know, for me, one of the big struggles, because the first doctor that I saw in the emergency room, actually two days after my panic attack, when I started dealing with all these physical symptoms, I went in there and he just ran this huge battery of tests and he came in there and he said, Justin, you know, I can't tell you definitively that nothing's wrong with you. He said, but I don't believe there's anything physically wrong with you. I was like, what, what the hell do you mean? I'm like, I'm feeling all of these symptoms. How can you sit there? It, it kind of pissed me off. I was like, how can you sit there and tell me that there's nothing wrong with me? And he said, oh, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with you. He said, <laughs> he said I'm telling you there's nothing physically wrong with you. He said, I think everything that you're feeling right now is being created in the six inches between your ears. And for me at first, that was such a hard thing because it made me immediately think I'm mentally weak. But then I started to realize that's actually a huge blessing because if my brain 
in my mind is so powerful that I could create this huge shitstorm for myself. Imagine what I could create for myself if I started to really dial into this thing, start to understand it, and start to use it to create the life that I want to create. Was that your first real introduction to the personal development world and this idea of kind of defining and taking over your own life? Or had you delved into that before? I was always extremely interested by it. You know, growing up, Tony Robbins was somebody that I loved listening to. Um, I just, I've always been a very inspirational person. And I think that I was always kind of called to it because it just seemed like the things that they were saying and the things that were possible in life were the things that were burning deep inside of me. Like, oh my God, that's what I want in my life. But the, the incongruency that existed inside of my mind was like, oh yeah, that's something I would love to have for my life. But people like me don't get to have lives like that. Now that was kind of the springboard for me understanding like, wait a second, that's not the truth. And so that was what really led me to start diving deeper and starting to understand from a personal standpoint that really I wanted to understand the power of the human mind because I wanted to understand how I could have created this reality for myself. And then how do I come out on the other side of this and not have to deal with what I was dealing with physically, emotionally, mentally, and all those different things. But then from there, I wanted to understand how can I actually use my experiences and my knowledge to be able to go out and create change in other people's lives. So that was kind of the catalyst that took me on this deep dive but I'd always been interested in it to some degree. So the idea that you just mentioned where this interests me, but people like me can't have that. I think that that's so universal. And you now work with people that are in situations like you that are trying to take control of their life and live their best life. How do you talk to them or what advice do you give to them when they're thinking that they can't have what they want because people like them don't get it? Well, going back to what I said right there at the very beginning, asking people that question of, okay, so let's, let's take a step back from your experience real quick. And let's talk about me for a second. And they're always kind of like, okay, that seems kind of odd. <laughs> and I asked them like, what do you think my life was like growing up? And again, most of them are, pro are usually way off base because they see the me now, but they don't realize that the me, you know, five, six, seven years ago was them dealing with the insecurities, dealing with the pain, dealing with the anxiety and the depression, but wanting so much more. And then starting to bring in other people, the Tony Robbins of the world, the Brendan Burchards of the world, the Oprah Winfrey's of the world. People don't want to take the time to do the research and really understand the stories of these people. And so whenever you're able to sit there and really kind of cast this, this movie for them to help them to understand, like, look, don't sit there and dwell and exist in your own pity party because I'm here to, to love you and support you and have empathy for you, but I'm not here to let you stay in that space. And so really just giving them some context, helping them to understand for me personally, where I've come from, but then also a lot of the people that they probably look up to just like I did, helping them to understand their stories as well. I, I think because when we can see ourselves in somebody that we idolize, somebody that we put up on this pedestal, then it really helps us to start to be able to see ourselves in their shoes potentially one day. Absolutely. So you dig into personal development, you kind of start to engulf yourself in this world. And when do you decide that, hey, like 
I have something to teach people. When did this idea of coaching come into play? I, I think the first time I ever got told that I should be a coach was when I was like 10 years old. I remember <laughs> somebody telling me, cause I was always that kid that was like talking to the other kids whenever they had some sort of need. Um, and I tell people whenever people ask me, how'd you get into coaching? My like, coaching chose me. I didn't choose it. I had to make a commitment to the fact that I was going to do this, but it was something that was my calling long before I ever wanted to acknowledge it. But in terms of the, that experience or that, that one defining moment, it was a few months after my daughter was born. And so this was back in 2016 and it was a few months after she was born. And I remember it's in the middle of the night and I'm sitting there rocking her. My wife had just nursed her and I'm trying to get her back to sleep and I'm looking down at her face and you know, I'm, I'm kind of a weird dude. So I'm sitting there playing out her entire life in my mind, just getting like so excited about it. I'm just looking at her. I'm like, Oh my gosh, what is she going to look like when she grows up? What's her personality going to be? What's she going to do for a living? Who's she going to marry? All these different things. And I just remember getting so excited about telling her to chase her dreams. And then as quickly as the excitement came, it just left me. And it was almost like somebody just punched me in the gut. Like I just had this like disgusted feeling about myself because I remember sitting there thinking like, Justin, you cannot have that conversation with her about chasing her dreams because you are not doing it yourself. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself like, yeah, you could do it from a place of regret, but to hell with that, dude. Like you need to go out there and do it and own it in your life. Like in the analogy I always tell people was I decided I didn't want to tell my kids what I thought it looked like from the mountaintop. I wanted to be able to take them to the mountaintop and show them and say, you know what? You can have this view for the rest of your life as well. And that was the, the catalytic moment that led me to say, you know what? I know this is what I'm being called to. Damn it. I got to step into this and I've got to do something with it. Yeah, that's so powerful. And there are all these moments that come to us that if we're actually paying attention and listen to, they can be so impactful in our lives like that. And when we don't listen to them, we end up running out of Olive Garden with panic attacks because we've hit <laughs> like the bottom. Like I really feel like everybody who has taken this path or changed their life for the better in any way has hit that rock bottom at some point in time. And it's been whatever rock bottom is to them. And then we, we learn how to listen to ourselves a little bit more. And I think that conversation that you are having with yourself, with your daughter is so powerful and so impactful for your life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I firmly believe, first of all, I believe that every single one of us has a calling or a purpose, whatever you want to call it. You know, we're all born with unique gifts, talents, skills that allow us to be able to be in service to other people. But the thing is, is so many people spend so much time trying to find their purpose. But I believe that our purpose or our calling is revealed to us along the way. The problem is, is that we get so inside of our own heads or we start following a certain path thinking, oh, this must be it because we want so badly for that to be it, that we miss the signs along the way. Like I said, people had been calling out my gifting inside of me for a long, long time before, long before I ever wanted to actually admit and step into that because the biggest thing for me because of my upbringing, the, the, the idol of my heart was financial security. Every decision, it's kind of funny because I was literally just writing a blog post 
about facing your fears right before we got on this call. And one of the things I was talking about was that for me, every career decision I made in my early adult life was based around money. I hated every single one of those damn jobs, hated every one of them, but I didn't have the courage to walk away from them and step into what I wanted to do because of money. Even though I knew what I should be doing and looking back on it now, I'm like, I can, I make a hell of a lot more money doing <laughs> what I do than what I was doing before. But the thing is, is you've got to slow down and you've got to expand your mind and start to really bring in the full experience of life. So that way you can have those type of experiences. Because if you let the experiences of life, if you let the, the things that people say about you or the things that people say to you, if you let people suppress the real you, you're never going to be able to find that calling anyway. Because you're, even if something stirs up inside of you, you're going to think that it comes by mistake when in reality, that's what you're being led to. That's such a good point. One of the things that was said to me when I started my law office, which I wish that more people could hear, well, I guess they can now because I'm going to say it, was that you, you'd be surprised how little you have to work to make what somebody else is willing to pay you. And I remember thinking that doesn't make any sense to me. And they were like, no, like, just think about it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go out there and work when 100% of what you can, but living in that little bubble where you think that your job is secure, how we were just talking about everything that's going on in the world right now with the coronavirus and everybody who thought their jobs were secure, they're not. So you're living in this false sense of security and making pennies on what you could make if you were following your calling. 100% agree. And that was literally one of the biggest eye-opening experiences for me. I remember listening, gosh, I can't remember who it was now. Uh, somebody did a podcast and they were talking about that, that exact concept. They said, safety and security do not exist. Those are false um, ideologies that we have created to make ourselves feel better about our miserable existence. I'm like, damn, this is brutal. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean safety and security don't exist? But then he started to go in, he started breaking it down and I was like, oh my God, he's absolutely right. Like I could walk outside and drop dead or I could go to my job and the company could go out of business or they could lay me off. Anything that we define as safe or secure could be gone just like that in a heartbeat. Yet the vast majority of people are living their lives for that, that so-called safety and security and it is robbing them of true joy and fulfillment in their lives. Yeah, 100% agree. And then you mentioned something else that I wanted to dig out as well, because I think that it's super powerful for people who have college educations and have picked this career that they're going to go on. Because like the moment that we graduate high school, we're shoved into college, and then we're shoved into picking what our life's going to be like before we graduate. And then you start to figure out what your calling is, but you've spent so much time, energy, money, and resources getting to this spot in your life. And you just don't feel like you have permission to do that. So I know that you said that it was security that kept you from following your calling. Was there a little bit of like, I've worked so hard to get to where I am in my career. Can I really give this up? Or did that not exist for you? Oh yeah, I think I think pride plays into it to some degree. Um, almost a a sense of indebtedness to where you feel like, well, I I work so hard for this. I I feel like I need to honor this. Um, I feel like for a lot of people, 
when it comes to chasing their dreams, quote unquote, or pursuing their purpose, whatever you want to call it, I feel like there's a lot of internal and external debt shame that goes into that because oftentimes making that transition, going into something else, just like anything else, you know, you, you may be taking a step back in order to take multiple steps forward. But it's like taking that step back and the thought of, oh my gosh, I may have to take on debt to do this, or I may have to use my credit cards to gain new knowledge, gain new skill sets, um, take a hit financially. I feel like a lot of that plays into it that prevents people from making that leap. I I feel like there's a lot of factors. If you're somebody who's married and you have kids, it's that sense of responsibility. You're battling something that I dealt with was um, a feeling of selfishness. Like Justin, you already had your chance to chase your dreams, dude. You blew it. Now you owe it to your wife and your kids to make sure they have a stable and secure life. And so I think there's a lot of different factors that play into that, but the, the safety and security coupled with all that other internal chatter that comes that, that really we create, it just, it keeps people stuck. And it's, it's no wonder why you see this mental health epidemic that's going on. That's really created. I think a lot around people not enjoying their lives because of the work that they're trapped in. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think it also, if you look at the societal generational ideas of success, they change with each generation based upon what our parents had, right? So my, I was always taught you go to school, you get a job, you work, and then you live your life after you retire. And we're moving into the millennial generation, or I guess we're in the middle of the millennial generation, where they don't subscribe to that bullshit. They're like, I'm going to live my life now. And this is the way it's going to be. And everything else will work itself out. And I love the freedom that comes along with that. But if you you look at each societal generation, they have their own different ideas of success. And that's passed on to their children. And then we have to adapt. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I tell all of my clients. And I actually just started storyboarding and outlining my next book. And one of the things I talked about in there, and it's, it's basically a how-to guide for creating and living your best life. And one of the things in there says, create your own definition of success. Because I think that we have these preconceived notions based on those people that we look up to. And a lot of times the people that we look up to are people that are older than us, people who come from previous generations. And so we have just kind of this canned definition of what success looks like. But exactly like you just said, their definition of success is completely different than ours. And a great example of this in terms of the, the generational differences is I was talking to a former boss of mine and he's like a father figure to me. And we were talking about the, uh, th- this was back when I was teaching, working under him. And we were talking about the, my generation versus his generation and how we used our vacation days. And he was talking about how he just had all of these days saved up from his years of working because he very rarely ever took his vacation days. I was like, dude, I've been teaching for four years and I've gone over my vacation days every single year. He's like, are you serious? And I'm like, well, first of all, you're my boss. You should know this. But I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're like, like, no, I'm not why, serious. Why I didn't you... use any vacation yeah. days. Give them yeah, all back. He, <laughs> he was like, why, why have you done that? And I said, because I've had opportunities to experience things along the way. I said, you couple that with the fact that I was out a little bit with sick time. 
you know, I, I wasn't going to give up the experiences that I had the opportunity to have now in exchange for the paycheck. You can dock me my money. I don't care. I'm going to have the experiences. And it was just funny because that really opened my eyes to the fact that, wow, it is so different. Part of the, the generations before us, part of their definition of success is that you show up every single day to your job. And like you said, you show up, you put in your time in a stable, secure job, you build up your 401k, you build up a strong enough retirement to where you can support yourself and then you can ride off into the sunset. But that sounds miserable <laughs> to me. I mean, that sounds terrible. And so it just, that, that people have got to start to develop the courage to kind of flip the metaphorical middle finger to generations before, not disrespectfully, but to say, damn it, I've got to be willing to define my own version of success. Otherwise, I'm setting myself up for a life that I'm going to regret one day. Like you say in your mantra, like the courage to be uncommon, the courage to own up to what it is that you want, be authentic about what it is that you want. The reason that this is so important to me as far as the definition of success is similar to you. Um, when I had my first panic attack, I made my first therapy appointment and I'm sitting there and about six months into therapy after I had learned how to manage my emotions a little bit, I was like, I just feel so damn unsuccessful. And six-figure income, working in a big law office, first person in my family to go to college, everybody was telling me how amazing I was. And I'm like, dude, I'm miserable. And my therapist asked me, she says, well, what does success mean to you? And it was like a two by four. Like I was 35 years old and nobody had ever asked me that question before. Like nobody had ever asked me to sit down and define what success was. And that should be the first question we're asking ourselves before we start to make any life decisions is what does success mean to me? And then more importantly than that, asking ourselves that on a regular basis because that definition changes as your life goes on. Yeah, and it should change. And so like one of the things that I work with my clients on is creating a value-based definition of success. So I want people, all of my clients, first of all, to understand that all of their success is going to be created out of them stepping into and owning their authentic version, what I call their uncommon version of themselves. But when it comes to creating that definition of success, it's got to be in alignment with what your true values are. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up to feel exactly like you just talked about because you're going to be that person just like me, who's chasing that paycheck, thinking that that is the beacon, that's the benchmark of success. And it's not. Not everybody values financial security in that way or financial abundance to the detriment of their health, to the detriment of their family, to the detriment of being able to go out and actually experience life. You know, there are a lot of people who are more satisfied, who are more fulfilled making $50,000 a year being able to spend more time at home, being able to have some experiences than making $250,000 a year and they're tied to their computer, they're tied to their cell phone, they're working 80 hours a week. So people have got to learn to have that courage to actually say, you know what, I've got to block out all the noise, I've got to block out the chatter. And oftentimes, a lot of that chatter is being created by the people closest to us. It's coming from our parents, it's coming from our friends, it's coming from comparison to the people closest to us, your spouse, anybody else. And so they're creating this definition of success that we feel like we need to step into, but it's not until we have the courage to take a step back and say, no, this is the line in the sand. This is what I'm defining my success as, and I'm going to go this way. 
Anybody else who wants to come with me, this is me living my best life. You have the choice to come with me or not, but I've got to go this way so that I can wake up every single day excited and I can lay down every single day fulfilled. Yeah, I love that so much. And that leads me into one of the questions that I ask every single one of my guests. And that is, what is your personal definition of success now in your life? How do you know when you are successful? So for me, the, the, I've always been somebody who's very in tune with my emotions. I think that everybody does need to have a number in terms of their finances. You need to have basically what I call your enough number. Like, what is that number that is enough for you to be able to live the life that you want to live? Because you got to define what is the life that you want to live. Is that being able to travel the world? Is that being able to go on shopping sprees whenever you want? Or is that simply enough to make sure that the bills are paid, um, your kids aren't going without, and you can have one date night a month? You've got to define what is that enough number for you? So I have one of those, but for me, Far more than the financial definition of success for me is the, the feeling that I have every single day. It's exactly what I just described. When I wake up in the morning, I want to be excited. When I lay down at night, I want to be fulfilled. If I'm, if I'm missing those two things, then I'm not successful. I don't care what I'm doing. I don't care how much you're paying me. I am not successful in my own eyes because I know the... Uh, the non-negotiables of my of me being successful, me being able to exercise every single day, me being able to spend time with my wife, me being able to spend time with my kids, me being able to be home and be present, me being able to serve other people. Those are non-negotiables of my definition of success. And all of those things are going to play into that exact feeling. I'm going to wake up in the morning excited because I get to serve other people. I get to coach. I get to use the gifts, the talents, the skills that were given to me to be able to add value to other people's lives. And I'm gonna to get to lay down fulfilled at the end of the day because I got to check every single one of those boxes of doing the things that are most important to me. There's an interesting correlation between success and fulfillment. And I find that that's different for everybody. So for you, do you think that fulfillment comes first and then you decide you're successful because you're fulfilled or do you feel fulfilled because you're successful? How does that correlation work for you? I think that you've got to, going back to the, the value-based success, the reason I do it that way is because rather than making them mutually exclusive, I make them one and the same because I make your definition of success be uh, rooted in what is most important to you, what's going to bring you that fulfillment. And so therefore, you cannot be successful if you're not fulfilled. So if you're not fulfilling yourself, you're not going out, you're not, you're not um, bringing in or living up to those values that you have for your life. You therefore cannot create success in your life by your own definition. Because I want you to, to step up. I want you to wake up every single day pursuing those values and then understanding that once you do those things, like I said, when you can check off those value boxes every single day, you're going to then be successful by your own definition. That's a really cool way of having it described. And, and it's so interesting because when I started ans um, asking this question, I was like, of course, like it's 
fulfillment and then success. And then somebody's like, they're completely unrelated. And then you're like, they're the same. And I, I think it's so interesting how just like everybody has their own definition of success, everybody has their own way and path to fulfillment. And I think that it's important to talk about both. And I love that answer. It's an amazing description. I wanted to talk for a minute about something that you said about the money side of things before, because there's a study out there and I don't know who did it or where it came from, but it talks about kind of this curve where you hit a certain point and then an increase in money does not lead to an increase in happiness, right? So if you're changing or exchanging your hours for like a $10,000 increase at work, the study shows that you're not going to be any happier than than you are now. And I think that that um, is directly related to what you were talking about with picking what your number is and knowing what that is so that you can decide whether that's worth the exchange. Yeah. And it's funny because that, that exact study is referenced in a great book called Pivot for anybody who's looking for a great resource. It's, it's kind of helping people walk through career transitions. But I mean, it's, it's applicable to life as well. But ironically, that study reveals a much lower number than what most people I think would actually believe. I believe the, the study came back and it was at like $75,000. Anything over that people did not see a noticeable increase in fulfillment or joy in their lives. And for me, I would have thought that number would have been much, much higher. It was like anything over 150,000 people didn't see a noticeable because when you have a financial based definition of success, I think that six figures is that, that beacon. It's like, that's the, the, the point at which you've made it. Once you hit six figures now by societal uh, belief, Oh my God, you make six figures. You're, you must be successful. And so, you know, I, I love that research because it helps people to understand whenever you look at the, the increase in the number of millionaires that there are today and you look at the, the growth of income, you would, by default, by our faulty definition, I should say, you would think that we would be a happier place. Yeah. Yet you look at the mental health epidemic and it's spiking. It, as as it, income is going up as well, so they just it, that that to me that is a um, just another verification of that study, and so that's why I want people to understand. Yes, yes, yes. I absolutely. If wealth is important for you, then go out and get it. But that's why it's so important that you define based on your values. You have to block everybody else out. You have to say and own it. Damn it, if money is important to you, money is damn important to my dad. My dad finds his worth. He finds his value in money. And if that is the case for you, then own that and go out and make as much damn money as you want to make. But if money is not that important for you, then own that too. If you're somebody who's perfectly fine being a stay-at-home parent or you're perfectly fine working some job that pays you thirty dollars or $40,000 a year but gives you all this extra time to be able to go out and have experiences in life, own that. I don't give a damn what it is, <laughs> but own whatever your number is because the, it, it's backed up by research. You're going yeah. to hit a point at which you're going to be miserable whenever you continue to chase after more money. Yeah, 100%. And you know, you've mentioned values a couple of times and I think they're so important because we're all living based upon a set of values that most of us don't even know we have. Like when we actually sit down and 
talk about our values and have them elicited by a coach and really like work through what those values are. Nine times out of 10, you're like, man, I didn't know that that was important to me. And if you're living a life that you're not happy with, chances are that you're living with some values that you're not happy with too. And you need to fix those. Like, yeah. cause they, cause they've been instilled on us throughout our lives. We didn't pick our values and, mm -hmm. but we can change them. Yeah. And I like to actually differentiate the two. I think that most of us grow up with what I call norms. So these were the things that were instilled in us that were normal in our immediate environment. So those are the things that we grew up believing. And I feel like a reason why so many people aren't fulfilled, why so many people are dealing with anxiety and depression as it relates to their career, as it relates to that, um, that feeling of being unsuccessful is because they actually have a value conflict because they have these things that are true to them that are inside of them that they've actually been doing exactly what I did. They've been repressing and suppressing because of the norms around them. You know, I was a, I, I was a sensitive kid and my norm told me being a sensitive kid is not okay around here. So the value, the thing that I valued in life actually got pushed down. And so that's why I'm so big on, on personal values and being able to discover those from within. It's because once you start to own the real values of your life, the things that are important to you, you're able to then evaluate those norms that you've grown up with and say, hey, you know what? This is something I want to keep, but this is something that I've grown up believing that I actually don't believe anymore. I don't think this is true. I don't want this to be foundational to the way that I live my life. Yeah, that's so great. And when you start going down this path for anybody who is either just starting and hasn't experienced this for the first time or that person that's on the path and has been doing it for a little bit, there is always that point in time where you feel like you need to change something or you need to do something different and you kind of get stuck in that comfort zone. So for me, I can always tell when I'm stuck in that comfort zone because I start realizing that I'm not playing full out and I know what that looks like for me. What do you do to make sure that you're personally pushing yourself out of your comfort zone on a regular basis so you can continue to grow? I think that, you know, we hear all these quotes and cliches and things about um, you've got to become comfortable being uncomfortable, but it's absolutely true. I think that because it has become so cliche in our society, people have a tendency to just kind of cast that aside like, oh yeah, that sounds great, but they're, they're so much truth in that. And for me, it's just that, that daily seeking of opportunities to make myself uncomfortable, no matter what it is. I don't care what it is in your life, whether it's in your physical fitness, doing one thing that's going to make you physically uncomfortable. If you're somebody who has social anxiety, making yourself go up and speak to a, a total stranger. If you're somebody who has a fear of judgment, uh, go out there and make a complete ass of yourself. Just do things that are going to make you uncomfortable because the reason why people don't do that is actually rooted in fear. We have so many fears that we've developed that have been passed down to us throughout our lives that become a part of our identity. And that's when we get firmly uh, rooted in that comfort zone. And it keeps us stuck because all those fears just really paralyze us and cripple us right where we're at. And it's not until you actually start taking actions because what I tell people is action is the antidote to fear. And action is also the catalyst for success. 
it's like riding a bike. You can't learn to ride a bike sitting still. You got to get your ass on the bike and actually start pedaling to learn how to ride a bike. I don't care if you're afraid of falling down, scraping your knee, busting your head, whatever it is. But you've got to be willing to face that fear to go out there to take the action and go if you want to be able to have the experience. And so, cliche or not, you've got to be willing to become comfortable being uncomfortable if you want to achieve any level of real success and fulfillment in your life. Yeah, that's so powerful. And one of the things that was said to me recently that I had never really thought of before was how learned our fears are. Like if you look at a kid, they're not afraid of anything, man. Like the kids will go out and they'll do things that adults are like, man, like there's that big joke that like kids just bounce and get back up, right? They're not afraid of anything. And somewhere along the way, we pick up these fears that we can't do something or we can't do this. And it, it's hard to let go of those, but it's so important. Yeah. And I mean, you can go and look at the research and it's kind of weird research. I don't understand how they validated this, but they've proven that we're only born with two fears. We're born with the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling down. Yeah. We, we learn them. Something as simple. And I, I do think that having a healthy level of fear obviously helps us to stay alive. We've got to be afraid or at least we've got to respect certain things from a position of fear so that we can keep ourselves alive. Otherwise, we would be out there doing the dumbest damn things and we would end up killing ourselves. But it's just, it's the small things. Like, you know, a great example is for me, I think that whenever you become a parent, you start to really, especially if you're being conscious of this, you start to really understand where a lot of your fears came from because you start passing them onto your kids. So like for my daughter, for example, I remember she was gosh, maybe a little over a year old. And I walked out there and she had climbed up on top of our uh, TV stand in our living room. And I come out there freaking out and I go running across the living room. I'm like, Charlie, no. And I run over there and I grab her. And in hindsight, I'm like, dude, like the worst that would have happened is she would have fallen off there. Like you said, kids are super resilient. Um, yeah, she may have fallen off of there and hurt herself a little bit, but I actually scared her more based on my reaction and the way that I reacted in that situation. Yes, I want my kids to know, hey, don't climb on tall things because you might fall and like kill yourself or at the very least, you're gonna piss me off because I gotta spend the night in the ER with you. But I don't want my kids to be fearful of heights like I am. I'm terrified yeah. of heights because of experiences in my childhood. Her running on the concrete. I'm sitting there thinking about it from the lens of, uh, of what it was like for me and the pain that I felt, but, you know, and so when, when she's young and she's running on the concrete, I'm sitting there and I'm like, Charlie, no, don't run on the concrete. You're going to hurt yourself, baby. And she's like, dad, I just want to run. And so I'm creating all these fears inside of them. And for everybody else, we all have these fears inside of us. And so I actually came up with a system that I tell people that they need to go through in order to analyze or um, kind of evaluate their fears. It's, it's a three-step process and people can go, they can look at my blog and actually find this. But one of the steps in there is to analyze your fear. First and foremost, you've got to analyze what is the source of the fear. And like I said, there's only two fears that we're born with. So it's a pretty thing to, a pretty easy thing to analyze. But what is that source of fear? And then the second thing that you've got to analyze, is it a legitimate fear? Otherwise, you need to figure out how can you actually take daily incremental action 
to face that fear if it's something that's standing between you and your definition of success. So like, for example, me in my life, a fear that I had was a fear of public speaking. Well, I knew what the source of the fear was. Both of my parents hate public speaking. And I knew that it wasn't a legitimate fear. I knew that I was not going to stand on that stage and drop dead unless I had some sort of weird heart condition from my heart beating out of my chest. I knew that it wasn't a legitimate fear, but I knew that that was something I had to be willing to overcome if I wanted to be able to make the impact that I wanted to make in my life. And so I had to figure out how can I move in order to get over that fear, to cope with it. So that way I could achieve that level of success that I wanted to achieve. Yeah, that's super powerful. And I love what you said about respecting your fears because we're, we're going to have fears. And I'm not even the person that subscribes to the don't let fear stop you thing because I don't think that we should all be out there doing everything. But if you're ever that person that sat and watched somebody do something and said, man, I wish I could do that, but I'm afraid, then that's the conversation you need to have with yourself. Is that really something I wish I could do? And if it is, what do you need to do to be able to do it? Like your public speaking thing, you know, it's something that I've suffered from as well. And then the more you do it, the more you start to realize that like you speak on stage and then you get off and you're just perfectly fine and nobody threw anything at you and everybody clapped and everybody listened and nobody walked out. And then, you know, you move on with your life and you you get better at it every time. So I love that you said respect your fears because I think that that's probably the most important way that it could be, that it could be described. Yeah. And I think we do a lot of internal fear shaming. It's like we shame ourselves for our fears out of comparison to others. Going back to what I was saying before about how we compare our definition of success or we look at other people who are so much, people that we idolize, that we look up to, that are so much further ahead of us. We look at their success and how they became successful and we're like, ah, well, I can never do that. And a great example for me is somebody that I look up to is Ed Milet. I mean, the dude is just in, just uber successful in all aspects of his life, but is a, such a powerful speaker. But then, like I said before, you, you go and you do your research and you find out that he was terrified of public speaking. And he, he's self-admitted he sucked at it whenever he first started speaking. But he knew the impact that he wanted to have. He knew his definition of success, and he knew that he had to figure out a way to face that fear. And kind of that last step, whenever I talk about move and, and evaluating your fears, I tell people all the time, there's two ways for you to move. You either go at the fear because it's something that is standing between you and that definition of success. And so that's the one where you go and you face it head on. You figure out some way to go either through it, over it, around it. I don't care. Or the other thing is to pivot. And, and one of the things I talk about in the, the training that I do on that is you've got to, to be able to respect yourself enough to say, I'm pivoting because that fear has nothing to do with my definition of success. Me not facing that fear is not going to detract from my life in any way. So me being afraid of heights, if riding roller coasters had nothing to do with my version of success, damn it, I've got to be willing to own it and say, I don't care what everybody else thinks about me. A lot of it's rooted in a fear of judgment because we're afraid of people seeing us quote unquote, give up on goals or doing something else whenever we said we wanted to do that thing. But uh, because we, we gave up because of fear, but you've got to be able to have the personal awareness and the personal respect 
to be able to pivot and say, I'm going to go in this direction because what's over here is more important to me. And I'm willing to face that view. Yeah, absolutely. That's so amazing, man. So we've had so much value here. Um, we've talked about values. We've talked about fear, comfort zone, success. I think it's been an amazing conversation. Where can people find you if they want to follow up with you or connect with you in some way? The two platforms as far as social media that I'm most active on are Instagram and Facebook. If you just type in Justin Aldridge, I'm the attractive dude towards the top. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, but you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm, I'm very active on both of those. And then they can go to my website. It's justinaldridge.com me, M-E. Um, you can go on there. You can check out the blog. I've got some free resources that you can download. If you're somebody who's just kind of feeling stuck in your life right now, uh, life or career, and you're looking to really break through and you want to start taking some steps on a lot of the things that we've been talking about today, you can go on there and download some of the resources on there to, to be able to start taking those steps to get to where you want to go in life. Love it. Well, before we end, I would like to let everybody get an opportunity to know you a little bit better and do a quick random round. Are you okay with that? Absolutely. All right. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm, I'm not nearly coordinated enough, but I would love to be like one of those Cirque du Soleil acrobat people. Yeah. I wanted to be a gymnast growing up so badly, but my mom was the gym teacher and it was like, I could oh, yeah, never I get away sense. from that. And I was like, no, no, no. And I had a fear of falling. You can't be a gymnast and be a, have a fear of falling. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh, oh that's so hard. Uh, I, I love history. So it would definitely be going back, man. Um, I am so infatuated by um, our Revolutionary War and that whole brother against brother concept um, and just kind of the uh, being the, the personal development guy, what people must have been feeling back then. So I would just love to go back and have conversations with people back then and see how jacked up people's heads were because it made me feel a lot better about me. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, what personality trait do you think has been most helpful getting you through life to where you are now? Post me kind of owning me, so to speak, the willingness to get to know people. Books. Are you a like physical reader, highlighter, or do you listen to audiobooks? Of late, I've been listening to more audiobooks, but I'm definitely, uh, if you give me my choice of the two, um, I'm a physical book guy. I love being able to just get my hands on stuff, being able to highlight, make notes. My books are usually pretty rough looking once I get done with them. But when you have little kids, you just got to squeeze it in whenever you can. Yeah. I had to get over the, like being taught in kid or in school, not to write in my books. Like it took me yeah. so long to get to the point where I was like willing to highlight and write in my books. But once I did, I never looked back. Yeah. Yep. Um, we talked about some really cool resources already, but what book have you recommended the most? Probably historically, the book that I've recommended the most is Think and Grow Rich. Just because I think that the, like I said, the, the financial aspect of success is something that is so ingrained in our minds and something that I think people need to be conscious of, but really understanding the think part when it comes to creating wealth and success in your life. So that's probably the one that I've suggested most to people outside of the Bible. That is. Yeah, it's a great book. It's a great book. 
All right, I'm a music nerd, so I always have to throw this question in there. What's your pump up song? What motivates you right now and kind of gets you moving? Oh, man. I am like so entrenched in the world of uh, four-year-old YouTube videos. <laughs> so I don't even know if I could tell you. I can't say this. I am a sucker for any old school Eminem music. Okay. You know, if I'm if I'm getting out in the gym and and working out, I can I can crank up any old school Eminem and and get after it. Yeah, I could get on board with that. I liked old school Eminem and I like the new school Eminem, but he had that middle. Yeah, like, he went off the rails for a while. It there. was so weird. But yeah. no, I can definitely get on board with that. All right, morning routines. I think they're so important. Do you have one? And if so, what does it look like? Yeah, absolutely. And if anybody listening does not have a morning routine, you need to get one because it will transform your life. But for me, I usually wake up between 5, 5.30, get up in the morning. First thing I do is move my body a little bit. I lay down actually in the bathroom area and just do some light stretching in there, uh, kind of get myself together, go into the kitchen, drink some water, get the blood flowing, go work out, come in, shower, eat, read, so it's, it's kind of a, a busy routine for me, but it gets my day off right. And you do it all with a four-year-old. So all you guys out there have no excuses. A four-year-old and a 19-month-old. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Congrats on that. Um, I have a dog. Can I blame it on my dog? Absolutely. Dogs cool. can be a real pain in the ass sometimes. Cool. Cool. Bailey, don't bark. She's not listening to me say that. Um, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I think this has been so valuable and I'm looking forward to sharing this so that people can connect with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. No excuses. A four-year-old and a 19-month-old. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Congrats on that. Um, I have a dog. Can I blame it on my dog? Absolutely. Dog? Dogs cool. can be a real pain in the ass sometimes. Cool. Cool. Bailey, don't bark. She's not listening to me say that. Um, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I think this has been so valuable and I'm looking forward to sharing this so that people can connect with you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.